This, this is going to be one of those Sundays um, that is going to go down in Orchard Hill history as a weird Sunday. seems like every church every 50 years or so needs a weird Sunday, and um, that's today. I, I really identify with this topic and this series that we're doing, but I struggled with it this week. I cannot tell you. I, so I actually brought proof to show you. I have pages of, of notes and outlines and stuff, and last night I chucked them all. So um, what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to kind of talk, okay? We're just going to kind of talk. Uh, Johnny, when my time is up, tell me and I'll stop. We recognize, as, as Dave mentioned, as teachers, that it is so easy for us to fall into that really bad habit of using theological, spiritual, biblical, Christian jargon um, that a lot of people don't understand. And we don't define what it is that we're saying. And I, I know that there are a couple of areas in my life where I really, I really struggle with that. One of them is in the area of handyman things, you know, all of the partially unassembled, you know, sort of stuff that you buy. The problem is they use vocabulary I don't understand. So I buy this floor lamp to put together for Sally. Step number one, I, I get it, take it out of the box, take it, you know, make sure the pieces are there. Step number two, connect your flange to your soffit using the three agents, hexagonal wing nut. Using the Allen wrench provided or something. Well, I have no, I, you know, if there's not a good diagram there with a picture, I'm, I'm lost. I'm lost. The other area where I struggle with that so much is in, in tech stuff, computers and things. So, I mean, every day my computer does something that I don't understand at all. I've, I've suspected demon possession. I've laid hands on it. I still have trouble with it. And then, I actually now own a smartphone. Walt Rogers actually tried to get legislation passed, making it illegal for me to own one of these. Um, but I got it anyway. So anyway, mostly for me, the church, I, you know, hired a tech guy, Scott Behrens, whose main job is to walk with me uh, through these things. So, I mean, every day, every day I have to go into his office because my computer is doing something I don't want it to do, or now my phone. The other day, my phone started talking to me in kind of like that way. I, I don't know what it, why, why do, now suddenly it's telling me, you have an email from Dan. Well, who asked you? I mean, I don't want him telling me that stuff at weird times like that. So I go into Scott, and, and he sees me coming, and he goes, <sighs> say, oh, Scott, okay, Here's the deal. And I explain what my problem is. And he says, well, here, give it to me. And then he goes. <laughs> and I go, I didn't quite follow all of that. <laughs> let, let me try that. So Scott says, okay, scroll down your toolbar. And when you get it down to the bottom, you're going to go to the widget app um, icon. Now, I suspect that the widget was the thing that I was supposed to connect in my flange with the floor lamp. 
Um, okay, and then when you do that, scroll through till you get your mobile multitasking GPS indicator. If the light is already on, indicates you do not want the upgrade. And, well, by that point, one of two things is happening. Either I'm crying uncontrollably, or I just reach out and hit Scott really hard. So I realize that for a lot of people, I, I think this is true, people would leave going, what were they talking about? A whole teaching about righteousness. I don't even know what righteousness is, you know, or all of those kinds of concepts. So I am really glad that we are going to be dealing with some of those words and we're going to be doing that starting today. And so we've, we've tried to figure out how those words are used in some of the basics of our faith and then see if we can understand our faith with this common vocabulary by which we are all going to kind of understand and mean the same thing. So um, up on the screen, we've got Mark, Mark, our basic truth for today. It says, God is spirit and truth, and we are to obey as a response of love. So some stuff here that I think is really good for us to try to understand. It's kind of in two parts, isn't it? We've got God is spirit and truth, so we've got the basic thing about God, that we believe about God, and then, and we are to obey as a response of our love, about our relationship with God. So here's what I decided to do today. As we kind of talk about this, every time I use a word that nobody understands without explaining it, I'm going to drop a quarter in the jar. And we're going to reduce our building debt significantly, I'm guessing. So I brought, I brought along a couple quarters, and then just before I left, Sally gave me uh, four more and said, you'll probably need these. Okay, so we're going to jump right into this now. Here's the first thing that we're saying. We're saying that God is spirit. God is spirit. Now, that in itself, do we know what we mean when we say spirit, when we say that God is spirit or God is a spirit? It's kind of hard for us when most everything we deal with in life is sort of tangible and material and physical to kind of turn our thinking enough to understand and believe and live in the light of the fact there, that there is a spirit world as well. And Jesus tried to help people understand that as well. We're going to be looking at a couple uh, stories from Jesus' life this morning um, from the beginning of, of his ministry as it's recorded by, by John. So uh, first in John chapter 3, remember there's a guy named Nicodemus who comes to see Jesus one one night and it tells us a couple things about him that that he's a that he's a leading jew he's a, he's a rabbi he's a teacher and he's a a member of the sanhedrin which is the uh sort of the ruling jewish council so he's an important man a respected man he comes to jesus and he wants to understand i think his intentions are really good wants to understand about god and wants to know what it is that Jesus is saying about God, because he recognizes, you know, something important in Jesus. Um, so anyway, so at one point in their conversation, it says this. So Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear its sound. But you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
So there they are. Uh, maybe it's, we know it's nighttime. Maybe they're sitting up on the roof. You know, they had flat roofs on the houses and, and the cool breeze would blow in from the Mediterranean, which was not that far away. Maybe they're sitting there and Jesus is wanting to explain about the spirit to Nicodemus and sort of says, you know, feel that breeze, you know, you know, think about that. The wind blows, you don't see it, you don't know where it came from, you don't know where it's going, but you know it's there, you know it's real, you see the power of it sometimes. He's saying, no, the Spirit is like that. And when I'm talking to you, Nicodemus, about being born again, you've got to get beyond thinking in just in physical terms that there's something as radical as a physical birth that takes place in a person's life and their heart when they are born again by the Spirit. So when we talk about the Spirit, what we're talking about is that part of reality that is not physical, right? That is not material. So we believe that God created a physical universe. He is the creator of all of this. But that's physical. We also believe, the Bible teaches, that God also created a a spiritual realm, that is also inhabited by beings that are spiritual beings. What would be an example of one kind of spiritual being? That's a real question. Angels would be a great, probably the most obvious example. So we know that there are these spiritual beings that are angels. The Bible mentions other kinds too, seraphim and cherubim and strange kinds of creatures that are described to us, like in the book of Revelation. Cherubim and seraphim are these other spiritual beings that God created that worship God and have lots of wings and things. So we're saying that God, in his essence, who has existed eternally, exists as a spiritual being, as spirit. That is that God, in his nature, does not have a physical body. Now, our first reaction to that might be, well, that's too bad, you know, because for us having a, a physical body is really, really good. You know, that's how we know ourselves. That's how we live and move and how we experience life. But for God, it would be a, a downer. You know, it would be a limitation for God to have a physical body. It would mean he would be limited in ways that our bodies limit us. But because God is spirit, then God can be Everywhere. He can be ubiquitous. He can be, uh, you know, never wearing out, never growing old, all those things that kind of come with our bodies. You know, God isn't subject to that because he doesn't have a body. God exists as spirit. In fact, part of God is even referred to as God the Holy Spirit, right? You know, that we believe that God is able to exist in three Parts or three persons, one God joined together in the Trinity. And I think one of the things that makes it hard for us to understand that is because we think of it in terms of bodies. So we can't have three bodies. It'd be like conjoined triplets or something. We think, you know, that doesn't make sense. But God isn't like that with a body. God is spirit. And so God exists in these three spirit parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God always is and always will be spirit. But God can also take on a bodily form, can't he? 
fact, we have great examples of that in the Bible, in the Old Testament. One of my favorites is when, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel? And they look, and the, the guys aren't getting burned up in the fire. And in fact, they look, and they see a fourth person in there. And it, and it says it looks like the Son of God. You know, I think at that point, God took on a physical form so he could be there in the fire with those guys to encourage them in the midst of that crisis. You know? God can take on an appearance of a physical body. But, this gets a little more complicated now, but beyond that we believe that one part of God who is spirit, God the Son, actually became a human being with a human body. Right? And so in that case, and we call that incarnation, and I'm not going to put a quarter in because I'm going to tell you what it means. Incarnation just means in the flesh. We believe that Jesus didn't just sort of take on a body. He became a human being. It wasn't just that he appeared to be human so that we could see him. He actually became a human being. So to kind of sum, sum that up, you know, when we say that God is spirit, we believe that he exists you know, eternally without the limitations that physical and material things bring. Now, the second thing it says about God here in this statement is that God is spirit and truth. God is spirit and truth. How can something be truth? Let me read you a second um, passage. This is from the next chapter in John, John chapter 4. Jesus is in Samaria talking to a woman that he encounters at a well. Samaria is a totally different country from Israel. Uh, it, uh, so we've got Israel in two parts. It's kind of like Michigan. So the, the upper peninsula thing is, um, is Galilee. And the lower part is Judea, and right in the middle is a separate country called Samaria. Jesus is going from one to the other, goes through Samaria, stops and visits with this, with this woman. And she, she wants to argue, because there are a lot of differences between the Jews and the Samaritans, about their belief in God and how you worship God. So let me read you these verses, starting with, uh, with verse 19. This is the woman speaking. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I, I, my undergraduate degree is in philosophy. And one of the things I remember from philosophy is that we defined truth as being truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Let me see if I can apply that to God. We, we have standards and morals and beliefs, right? We believe that some things are good and some things are evil. Some things are beautiful, some things are ugly. On what basis do we make that kind of decision? That's something that I think our culture really wrestles with. 
what makes something good? How do we know that that's a good thing? Well, the truth is that we know that this thing is good because there is a standard of goodness. And we take this good thing and we compare it to that standard and we say, yep, that's good. And the degree to which it corresponds to that is the degree to which it is good. The degree to which it diverges from that is the degree to which it is evil. Now that standard, the, the, the thing against everything else is measured is God. That God in his essence is goodness. And if you want to know if something is good or not, you don't take a vote. You don't see what, what popular culture says. You compare it to God who is goodness. And the degree to which that fits with God, that is the degree to which it is good. And the farther it is away from that standard, the farther away it is from goodness and the more it moves into the area of being evil. Now, see, we do that with other things in our lives, right? So um, there's a clock in the back that, um, that I'm supposed to watch to kind of know when I'm, when I'm done teaching. If I look at my watch and it, and it says 3 o'clock, how do I know it's 3 o'clock? What makes it 3 o'clock? Well, the reason is because there is somewhere an, an atomic clock that is so accurate that we all agree that's the real time. And so I have to compare my time to that real time to see how accurate my, my watch is, my time is. It's only three o'clock to the degree that it corresponds to the, the real absolute time. I'm trying to learn to do some woodworking. <laughs> um, so I notice if you have to, you're making something square, I have what I believe is called a widget. No a T-square, and so you kind of fit that in with a T-square, and the degree to which it fits in with the T-square is the degree to which it is a true, you know, square corner. God is that one true thing to which everything else needs to be compared to see if it is really good or beautiful or righteous or holy or any of those kinds of things, right? And so in that sense, I think we mean that God is truth. God is truth. He is that absolute thing against which everything else is being measured. So we've got those two ideas about God, right? That God is spirit, that he exists in a way that is different from the material, the physical world. And he exists in such perfection that everything else is measured in relationship to him. So that's kind of the first part of our statement. Notice how it goes on, though. God is spirit and truth, and it has that in your, in your bulletin, I'm sure. God is spirit and truth, and we are to obey as a response of our love. So knowing that God is that kind of a God, what's our response going to be? Let me ask you, why do you obey God? Assuming you do, why do you obey God? seems to me that there are sort of three basic reasons why a person would obey God. One reason would be um, because they're, they do it out of fear. They're afraid that God is going to punish them. They're afraid that there are going to be consequences to their disobedience. That's not a totally bad motive, is it? In fact, I think it's one that the Bible uses quite a bit. And we grow up um, with that kind of a, of a mentality 
toward obedience. You know, so the little child to teach her, you know, that she's not to stick stuff in the electrical outlet. You can't explain electricity to her. So you slap her hand. If she goes out of the yard when she's out playing and she knows she's not supposed to do that, she knows that there's going to be a consequence. She's going to have to come in the house. She's going to have to have a time out. And so we kind of take that same mentality and apply it to God. If I break these laws, there are going to be consequences that I'm not going to like. And we know that that's true, right? A lot of the, the things that we do in disobedience to God bring upon us and others bad consequences. So when God says, you know, don't get drunk, we realize that if we get drunk, it's not just going to be a matter of God punishing us, but there are consequences that come with drunkenness that we want to avoid. So one reason why we would obey God would be that we're, we do it out of fear. The second reason might be not just uh, so much out of fear as um, a desire um, to, to live in a way that works. I would say it's like a pragmatic reason. We, we believe that the, the things God has told us, that was probably a quarter, wasn't it? Pragmatic, pragmatic it just means you know, what, what works. That, that the rules God has given to us are for our good because they work. Now, I want to make a statement now that I think is really, really important, and I bet a whole lot of you don't agree with it. And it's this, that every law, every law that God has given us in this book, every one of them is for our good, not for God's. It's for our good. So that makes sense in some areas, um, you know, when God tells us not, not to lie or to cheat or to steal or to covet or some of those things. But some of them we have to think about. Like when God makes some rules about the Ark of the Covenant. If you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you're going to die. No one but the high priest can go back into the Holy of Holies and then only once a year. or someone else goes in, they die. You know, it's rules like that. It seems like those are rules to help us understand the holiness of God. And so we might think then that that rule is sort of for God's sake, so that he can be really holy. But in fact, God is totally holy regardless of what we do. There is nothing that we can do that can make God less holy than he is. But if we don't recognize and understand the holiness of God, then we are lessened. We um, could be living a fuller, truer life if we understood the holiness of God. And so when God makes laws that sort of exemplify his holiness, he's doing it not because he needs us to recognize his holiness. It's because we need to recognize his holiness. So the rules that God gives us in his book are for our benefit. And, and I need to be smart enough to realize that if I keep those laws, I'm going to be living a better life. It's going to work. God's way of living works. So God gives laws that we maybe, you know, at the time don't understand, don't eat pig. Turns out it, you know, back then it carried a lot of disease and stuff. You know, God gives those rules for our benefit. So sometimes we, we follow the rules out of fear. Sometimes we do it just because it's pragmatic, because it's, because we believe it works. 
But ultimately, the highest motive for being obedient to God is because we love Him. And it's a way of expressing our love to Him. You know, I, th- I think that's what was going on in the Garden of Eden. I mean, how are Adam and Eve going to express to God that they love Him and trust Him and want to honor Him? God says, okay, here, see the, the tree here? Don't eat of the tree. And every time you don't eat of it, you know, you're honoring me by your obedience. Now, if God really didn't want him to eat from that tree, he could have just not put the tree there, right? Why did he put it there? So that they would have a way to show that they love and honor and want to obey God. And so when I obey God... For me, it's not just a matter of fear or because the works. It's because I love God and I want to, you know, live in a way, you know, that shows and expresses my love for Him. So God is spirit and truth. And we can respond to who He is as God, you know, by living a life of obedience. Because when we do that, it expresses our love. Listen to what Jesus said in John uh, Chapter 14, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Uh, boy, Jesus makes it pretty simple and pretty plain, doesn't he? You know, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, there is um, a lot in the Christian faith and the Christian life that is very hard to understand. And we think about people who spend their whole lives you know, just thinking about some of these issues and trying to understand them and then trying to explain them to us. And, and we know, like a little child with a parent, we're not going to understand everything that you do. We're not going to understand everything about who you are even. Um, But we believe in you. We believe that you are spirit and that you are truth. We believe that life works best when we live our life in relationship to you, live our lives in obedience to you. And so I would ask you um, with my friends here today uh, to forgive us for those times when we think that we know better Somehow our way is, makes more sense than your way. Uh, times when we just don't want to do what you have commanded us to do. Forgive us, Lord. May our love and our trust um, be so deep um, that we are motivated every day to live life in a way that honors and pleases you. And we pray this uh, in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.